going to be talking about some KPIs from our Sapphire Eye product. Um, cover a few that maybe deserve a little bit more attention, and uh, we're going to start with a few old favorites as well. So, one of the things that Sapphire Eye does is it it acts as a client on the network and it directly tests some KPIs that are are tied to user experience. And one of the first ones that it it tests and one that we always talk about is attach success rate. And we consider an attach, that whole authentication and association process, you know, everything from when we probe the access point up until we're ready to ask for an IP address. And this is a really important one, I think, for the user experience. The uh, A lot of failures or a lot of retries on this um, certainly make Connecting to the network seems slow. And a lot of those processes are involved with roaming as well. So those connection loss, reconnecting messages, you know, those, those can definitely be tied into that ability to attach. Um, and that's why we, we talk about it a lot. And, and it's a pretty sensitive measure of the network health. Um, I have one that I pulled here. Um, it's uh, or it's um, five gig and, and two four and kind of unusually and one of the reasons I snagged this one is you'll see that we're having attachment issues on five gigahertz in, in the orange uh, where two four is you know it's beautiful at 100 percent and that's that's kind of unusual um, you know usually it's it's the opposite and there's going to be some kind of interference on two four. Um, we haven't quite tracked this one down, but um, the spectrum analyzer on this site shows uh, something that <clears throat> looks like narrowband interference up in UD3 or, or really in the ISM band, they overlap. Um, and, and of course, the ISM bands, both in 2.4 and 5 gig, are, are open to not just communications, uh, but to anything. And we've started to see something showing up in the ISM band uh, kind of frequently, and, and I call it the snake. We get kind of a, a slowly wavering narrowband transmission, uh, and it seems to be a, uh, a motion detector of some sort, uh, we think. Uh, and you can see that uh, the impact that it has on, on just trying to connect to the network, we're getting you know, up to about 30% you know, failures almost. Um, I think you've probably seen kind of that snake pattern on spectrum analysis runs too, haven't you, uh, Jim? Yep, starting to see that uh, more and more in the last year or so um, from uh, uh, it, uh, motion detection equipment and the, the, the problem, the biggest problem with it is the duty cycles right around 100%. Yeah, it's always on. So it's... It, it crushes everything uh, on any channel that it's on from connecting to the network all the way up to to through but um, so as I say this is a pretty sensitive measure of problems on the network and it's it's definitely tied very directly to user experience so uh, that that is one that we we like to look at and it's kind of an old favorite um, 
you know, next up it's throughput. Uh, you know, I'm not a, a big fan of measuring throughput. I don't think it's a very sensitive measurement of network health, um, but it's obviously the number printed on the box and it's something that everybody wants to measure. Um, and our throughput test is, or Sapphire's and Mobileye as well, is quite a bit different than services like SpeedTest. Um, we do a single short transfer, um, two seconds long, a single stream, uh, and, and we try to simulate really what a web browser is gonna do. It's gonna go fetch usually a fairly small file and then go fetch another small file. Um, the speed test services, they're gonna start multiple streams, maybe from multiple servers, and really try to load down that network connection and max it out. And of course, if we did that during testing, uh, it would have a huge impact on, on the network. So you know, we kind of avoid that deliberately. Um, one thing about the, the very short duration of our throughput test is it makes them sensitive to latency because of uh, TCP slow start. And if you think back, the TCP protocol limits the number of uh, packets in flight at first and then gradually opens that up so that uh, um, whenever we run a very short test, a big part of that test is during that slow start period. So you'll see much lower through, uh, throughputs with our product. Uh, and it's not wrong and speed test isn't wrong, um, but uh, they're just different ways of measuring. And Jim, did I lose uh, lose the display here? No, uh, you're still sharing. We're at the uh, VoIP quality slide. Ah, okay. Sorry there about that. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, um, webinar popped into the foreground. Um, and you know, I pulled down a um, a graph of some access points. Um, none of these are running particularly fast, but uh, I like to look at this view, each access point, and you know, if at this site you say needed 10 megabits per second for your application, uh, it's going to pretty quickly draw your eye to those those three lines down on the bottom for uh, some attention on why those APs are are not providing uh, the service. So, like I said, while I'm not so, a huge fan of it. It is something you need to look at and uh, something that that users certainly care about. Anything about throughput measurements, Jim? Yeah, it's not my, you know, it's not one that I rely on heavily as well, but I, I think you described it well. I think, you know, it's really, it becomes interesting when it's near the low end when it's really low, that's a good sign that things are really wrong. Yeah. But once you're above, you know, the throughput required for your applications, which is usually pretty modest, the difference between 100 megabits and 200 megabits and 300 megabits, it's not really significant. So it's all in how you interpret no. it. I, th I think latency and, and packet loss are much bigger factors on on user experience 
as long as you're getting that minimum throughput. Um, now, this is one that I do like more is our voice quality scores. So um, we simulate voice calls up and down um, and we send a, a stream of short and I think they're 500 byte packets uh, for 12 seconds. Uh, we monitor uh, the packet arrival times between our, our sonar and the eye itself. And we measure packet loss, jitter, latency, uh, and, and calculate a, a MOS score, uh, mean opinion score, uh, which is just a measurement of how good the connection sounds. Um, and generally, people are pretty happy uh, as long as that stays above about 3.6. Um, also, I found at least for for Wi-Fi connections and and the the sort of usage that that people use these Wi-Fi networks for voice for it's really packet loss that's the killer. I, I very rarely see them where jitter or latency are so far out of bounds that they're having much impact on MOS. Um, but all of the time, I see packet loss being a uh, a real issue in keeping good good voice quality. Um, and I pulled. Hold one here. These are all from the same building, um, and it, it's our MOS downlink, so the listening side of the connection. Uh, and um, the all the floors except for the fifth floor on this look really good. So pretty clear indication. Uh, you need to investigate a little more deeply what's going on on the fifth floor that's that is causing those problems. Um, we also make passive measurements with Sapphire, where instead of connecting to the network and actively transferring a file or, or sending some UDP packets or connecting and measuring that, we also go into monitor mode and, and we listen to the network um, and collect statistics on, on that as well. Uh, and on our frames tab and uh, Sapphire Eye and Analyzer, which is, is where the passive measurements live. The first two are AP retries and client retries. Uh, and it's a very simple measurement. We just look at the number of frames that have the I'm a retry frame bit set versus the total number of frames. And, and that calculation gives us the retry rate. Um, Generally, as those retry rates exceed about 30%, uh, that's going to indicate either some sort of interference on the network, or we also see them with very high channel utilizations. Um, but it's certainly one of the first things that we look at. Um, I would like to say that in a nearly idle network, the data is going to be sparse and, and not very reliable uh, just because we don't have many samples. Um, what do you think about uh, retry rates, Jim? And I pulled one here that uh, that looks pretty tough. I think a lot mm -hmm. of retries on this. Yeah, it's really you know uh, a useful metric. You can almost um, think about it like being the you know uh, taking the temperature of the uh, of the channel and seeing 
you know, if the temperature is too high, that's an, a symptom of some issue going on. One of the other things though, you know, the challenge in measuring retry rates is retries are often the result of collisions or interference or things like that. So how do we count those retries uh, if th there's a good chance that many of them are corrupted themselves? Um, yeah. So if you see a number like this, where we see spikes to 70, 80, 95%, uh, you know, the true number, which nobody can really measure, might actually be even higher. Oh, it definitely could be, yeah. Um, so, uh, as you say, it's, it's a great thermometer for the, the health of the network. Um, you just can't get good performance with really high retry rates. Um, one other one that I want to talk about is our uh, QBSS channel utilization. QBSS is Quality of Service Enabled Basic Service Set. Um, and with enterprise access points anyway, um, access points will include information in the beacon and I believe the probe response as well um, about what the access points view of the channel utilization is. Um, and that's going to include other Wi-Fi that it's deferring to as well as any energy detect that it defers to. Um, and about 40% is, is probably a good measure for, for whenever we start to see those, those issues. And I have one here um, where, you know, this, this network is not having a problem. You'll notice that there's, there's a bit of a daily rhythm to the network. You know, it's midday and afternoons, we'll see higher channel utilization. Uh, you know, up to maybe 20, 25%. And then in the middle of the night, it falls back to about 5%, which is just, you know, it's mostly beacons. Uh, and it's not just necessarily your network, it's it's anything that it hears. Uh, and that's certainly, like, retry is one of the first things that I look at. Uh, and I expect you do too, Jim. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to move into a few that, you know, maybe you're not looking at. Um, the first of those is channel changes. Uh, I have pulled data from one eye uh, that happens to be uh, managing three access points, three access points closest to it here. Um, and we can see, you know, it's not changing every hour, but it's changing three or four times a day. Um, so clearly the controller is, is not happy. It can't find uh, some channels that it likes, that it thinks that there's not much interference on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not really doing anybody any good. Maybe there's some interference here. You need to take a look at the spectrum and, and see if you can find that. Or, you know, maybe the controller is just not really doing its job very effectively and, and a reboot uh, or even a software upgrade might help. Uh, and I know you've seen a lot of weirdness on, on channel changes going crazy as well. 
Yeah, it's really useful to have just this visualization, I think, is really useful because it gives you this that feel for really quickly how often our channel changes occurring, uh, the time of day, and, you know, where an AP has been as it, you know, switches back and forth. Sometimes, too, it kind of reveals things like maybe those, you know, that AP with the sort of light gray. Maybe it's set to channel 64 and it just keeps getting uh, DFS radar hits that push it off that channel. You know, it, these kind of visualizations can um, really help you sort those kind of things out. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a good interpretation whenever it's a DFS channel and uh, access points keep abandoning it that that it may be radar detects. Uh, and unfortunately, we can't really, really detect them. Um, you need to really monitor, or we would need to monitor every channel all the time to do that. It's a little easier for an access point because it's basically sitting on one channel all the time. So it's easy to monitor that single channel for radar. Um, but uh, as I say, I, I like to look at this and, uh, you know, Certainly, every time there's a channel change, there's a good possibility that some of your clients are going to have to go look for a new AP, uh, and that can certainly interrupt uh, data streams. Um, there's another one, and I almost never see anybody look at this one, uh, but I like it. And we have a, a measure uh, traffic density, and it's just a raw frame count, frames per minute. Uh, from an access point, it includes everything, whether it's a data frame or a management frame, uh, we're going to count it. And I think it's a great measure for uh, how busy an access point is uh, above and beyond the number of users that are attached to it. Um, and I've got some some numbers here, and, and these are my numbers. I don't have a check with any manufacturer. I'd be glad to hear if... Uh, if any of them have any any thoughts on it, but you know, just looking at a lot of access points, uh, it seems that if they're running less than about 40,000 frames a minute, it's not working very hard at all. It's nearly an idle access point. Um, up at 400,000 frames a minute, that access point is pretty much fully loaded. And if you get up into the you know half million frames a minute. Uh, that access point is really critically overloaded, and maybe it's only got a handful of users on it, and they're all you know, doing torrents or something. But uh, it is—it's uh, definitely going to be struggling at those power levels. And I ran a, uh, a chart. This is actually across multiple customers uh, to try to find some that that we really had heavy, heavy loads on. Uh, and you can see most of the access points most of the time are you know under 100,000 frames they're they're pushing data uh, but they're not exceptionally loaded and you don't expect them to be uh, but we do have uh, a few access points that are uh, blowing past that 400,000 frame and even up into the 500,000 frame area so you know I think those access points definitely need a little bit of help they need some some more access points near them uh, to take some of the load off or 
or at least a better understanding of the environment that they're running in. Um, do you ever look at this one, Jim? Yeah, I do, and it's it's useful, particularly in the context of a uh, an, an AP that's reporting high channel utilization, just to come and look and see, okay, well, is there is there a lot of Wi-Fi traffic on the channel? Because if there isn't, maybe there's you know uh, a, a source of non-Wi-Fi interference. Some APs can detect that and and report that in their channel utilization number. Um, but if you know if if the utilization is high, this is these are useful to you know get into the details about is it upload, is it download, is it data traffic, is it management traffic, and um, you know we can even take this further into looking at specific client max and seeing who's responsible for the most um, traffic if. To, to use your scenario, Mike, if some somebody's got their BitTorrent server fired up on your enterprise WLAN, that'll help you track it down. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, as you said, we can dig in a lot with with Sapphire. Almost all the all the KPIs uh, are symmetric. If we measure something on the access point, we measure it on the client side as well. So we actually measure frames directed towards an access point as well as from uh, and i just pulled this one graph and um we can also dig down into what kind of traffic is it is it you know control traffic or management or data uh, to help you really understand what's going on to generate all that traffic um here's another one that that doesn't get a, a lot of attention i think it's the client five gigahertz support ratio, which is just the percentage of clients that are using five gigahertz. Um, and you always wanna run this on an aggregation type without band in it. Because if you look at the two four band or the five gig band, it's always gonna be 100% for that, that band. So you have to, to look at it all across an SSID, um, and we can see here's a company that has four SSIDs uh, on their network. Audio, which um, drives some wireless speakers, and a lot of those are 2.4, uh, and we can see that, that you know only 35% of those are, are running in 5 gig, and a, a lot of that equipment for this customer is 2.4 only, so that's no surprise. The conference room and the corporate SSID, 100% 5 gig, um, and guest is mostly 5 gigahertz. Um, and, and I ran, this is a run across a week, you could look at the last month, uh, and I did a period, what we call a period aggregation on it. So I'll take all the data from an entire day, month, week, whatever, and condense it down to a single number. Uh, um, and then report it as a bar graph instead of our typical line graph. So analyzer can really kind of slice and dice the data and show it to you in a lot of different ways. But, um, you know, for this this customer, I think for their, their conference room and their corporate SSIDs, you know, maybe shut off 2.4 altogether, free up a little bit of, uh, of management traffic off of it for the audio and the guest networks. Um, and of course, help help move people onto five gig, and hopefully six gigs soon, right, Jim? Yeah, exactly. And it's 
really useful, you know, if you're <clears throat> considering disabling 2.4 gigahertz for an SSID, it's really useful to have the data to see, well, how many clients are actually using it? How many of them are, are well, you know, are dual band clients? And, uh, you know, what's it gonna, who's it gonna, what clients are actually gonna be impacted, if any? So, yeah. very useful. And, and, you know, just like on all the others, we can run this by client and see what clients are running how much, two, four, and five gig as well. Uh, help you locate those if you are trying to move off of two, four. Um, the other one, and this one is not one that I really ever look at on a normally running network. Uh, it's strictly for really debugging connectivity issues. Um, but we collect all of the status codes during our passive phrase for the authentication, association, reassociation, deauthentication frames. Um, so it, we actually are looking at those status codes for all of the users on the network, and we're sampling, so we don't collect everything. Um, but we get a, a good a good feel for what's going on on your network. Um, and, and for these like this, we need to remember to use all samples averaging to turn off averaging because an average status code uh, isn't meaningful. Uh, I had to dig around a little bit to, to find something interesting because, you know, mostly you get not particularly interesting uh, data on those unless there, there's something broken. But but here's what it looks like, and and we'll have this is the deauthentication reason code, uh, and we have them over here on the left. Uh, I looked them up online to find out what the values are. Um, so, you know, we're seeing some some code 15s, which means there was a timeout during the handshake during authentication. Uh, we've got a couple of fours, deauth due to inactivity. Um, nothing unusual on this one, but we did have one customer uh, that was having a lot of trouble getting some IoT clients to connect to the network. Uh, and we found, looking at this, that uh, they had turned on load balancing, uh, which causes the AP to send, a, you know, I'm busy, try somewhere else code whenever a client tries to associate. I'm sorry, I don't know what that number is. Uh, but this client was broken. And instead of going off and looking for another access point, it would, upon receiving that status code, go into a tight loop and keep just pounding away at that access point. Um, and they had about 800 of these IoT clients. So uh, they pretty rapidly drugged the whole, whole network uh, down. Uh, and those kind of things get uh, much more apparent whenever you're looking at what the actual status codes uh, during that whole authentication and association process. You ever use this one, Jim? I do. It's really useful uh, when you're doing more advanced troubleshooting um, just to see if there are differences. You know, there's always going to be um, reason codes and status codes out there, but if there are, you know, differences in an area you're troubleshooting where there's a certain code that's showing up and an awful lot that's unexpected, that can, that can help narrow down issues. Sometimes yeah. uh, bug reports from your AP vendor might mention a specific status code or reason code, and you can come in here and see exactly how often that's occurring and 
if you've got an AP that's just sending those uh, reason codes out extremely frequently, that's probably one that might, you know, needs to be investigated for potentially being affected by that bug. So it's very useful for yeah. sure. We've definitely seen that. Um, we also have, and I put these four together, um, I don't, there is an interface to Sapphire called IQ that's it's sort of a dashboard interface. It's, it's slated to be uh, retired, but for it, we created four macro KPIs uh, to try to give you just four numbers to look at for how is your network uh, and their connectivity. Unfortunately, that one actually, I think, combines two things that aren't that closely related, but it combines the ability to connect to the wireless LAN, so things like association success rate, uh, and the ability to execute active tests. Can we reach resources on the network? Um, the next one is authentication, and that's either gonna measure uh, captive portal performance or 802.1x performance, uh, as long as you're using one of those. And I don't know of anybody that's using both on the same network. Um, IP and DNS services this is another one where we we kind of lump a couple of things together, but it's tied into is DHCP working and is DNS working? Um, and finally, quality, and it's measuring uh, throughput, voice quality, uh, web page download times, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and I pulled the the front screen from IQ uh, to show how we how we report those. So uh, you can very rapidly go in and, and see, you know, is there a is there a, an issue with the network and where is it? Uh, and these are gonna get rolled into the uh, new updated dashboard for analyzer as well. So they're not going away, um, but I did pull them off of a different, different interface. Um, and then I've got a couple that aren't really KPIs, they're, they're ratios of, of KPIs. So you have to do a little bit of, a little bit of math on those, uh, a little bit of interpretation. Uh, the first one is the ratio of AP retries to client retries. How often do we see uh, AP frames that have got their retry bit set versus client retries? Um, and here I found one where 37% of the frames transmitted by the access point had the retry bit set, but only 17% of the client. So in this case, the client, the AP is hearing the client better uh, than the client is hearing the access point. Uh, not what you would expect, but we see it a lot. Um, and it frequently indicates that there is a power imbalance between the AP and the client. Um, and a lot of the AP's power management algorithms want to drive the power level down on the AP uh, to reduce co-channel and adjacent channel interference. And that makes sense. Uh, but it can be so aggressive that you end up with clients not able to hear the APs. Uh, so it's, I like to look at it from a, a link balance perspective. Uh, it's not 100% because, you know, not only do you have that retry rate going, but the access point and the client are running different algorithms to decide 
what data rates they should be using. So uh, it could be that one or the other is just much more aggressive on the data rates and that causes a higher percentage of retries. Uh, but if you see a big imbalance, you know, it's, it's worth taking a look at the power levels, maybe worth taking a look at the data rates from the access points and the clients and, and see if something looks out of whack on, on the power there. Um, do you ever, do you ever look at those in comparison, Jim? Yeah. Uh, and, and just like you said, it's really useful just to make sure that link is balanced and, uh, you don't have a issue where, uh, the client can hear the AP really well, but the AP can't hear the client really well. So good indicator yeah. there. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Um, and I think, I think this is my last one. Um, and that's the ratio of probe requests to probe responses. So how many responses to each probe request do we see on the air? Uh, and of course, a client that sends out a probe request on a channel, if it's a broadcast request, every AP that hears it is going to respond. You know, does anybody want to talk to me? Yeah, I'll talk to you. Um, this particular one is from an airport, and there are a lot of access points. It's also on five gig, so it's not like two four. Uh, and remember, this is per channel, so this is how many access points are responding on that channel that they probe. So in this case, um, I think this, this is, I don't remember how long this period is. I think we're looking at a week here uh, and we averaged 15 probe requests a minute and we averaged about 850 probe responses a minute. So that means every time a client sends a probe, it's gonna get 57 responses. This site has five SSIDs on each AP, so about 11 access points respond to every probe. Um, and you can see how that will, can really, really quickly eat up uh, channel bandwidth with just probe responses. Um, it's not usually a much of an issue in small sites, but, um, Sporting venues, airports, um, concert halls, uh, those definitely are, are going to see this. Um, and if you think about it, if somebody walks in with their cell phone, even if they don't join your network, if they've got the Wi-Fi radio on, it's probably in their pocket blasting away with probes looking for access points to talk to it. Um, so I like this one as a measurement of access point density. Uh, and, and to me, I think 11 access points on every channel that are close enough to respond to a probe, that's a lot of access points. Uh, don't you think, Jim? <laughs> yeah, especially in five gigahertz. Something is, uh, something's up with the design there. And, and like you said, uh, you know, probe responses are small frames. It doesn't sound like a big deal but they use the lowest, uh, uh, the minimum basic rate and just chew up yeah. airtime. And every AP yeah. will send a response, a unique probe response for each SSID that it supports. So it multiplies very quickly and, uh, and just can really 
be an airtime hog. Uh, yeah. You know, it, even it really, even if those APs aren't busy with clients creating, you know, co-channel interference issues, just the probing uh, can be a, a big problem. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a big problem in the uh, in any kind of environment where it's a big dense environment and you've got a lot of people in there probing. Uh, it gets out of control very very quickly. Um, and you know the access point, as you say, it's gonna it's gonna respond at its minimum configured data rate. But even worse, the client is gonna probe at the minimum data rate that it's capable of. So for five gig, it's always gonna probe at six megabits per second. And you can hear a six megabit per second frame a long way off. Absolutely. So uh, those multiply.